Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Friday, January 26th, 2024, the 1,101st day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. I want to get right into it in just a second, but I do want to quickly let you know that I will soon have ads running on the free version of this show that is always released about 36 hours after I put up the paid subscriber version. And so if you're listening as a paid subscriber on Substack, you're not going to hear any of this. But for you, I do want to let you know that I am now an affiliate of Gold Co. So if you are looking to diversify and you're considering precious metals, you can just go to reasonablegold.com 
and get in touch with GoldCo and start learning about your options. So that is a way to support the show if you are considering getting into precious metals. So let's get right into it. Pick up where we left off yesterday, which was talking about this immigration showdown. It's the states versus the fake president's fake administration. And there's talk of secession and civil war and fake trucker convoys. And as I mentioned yesterday, I think that it's possible that all of this hype and all of this chaos is like a massive car accident being played in slow motion, narratively speaking. And so let me just give the recap along the timeline, what I proposed yesterday. So late last year, the House needed to pass a spending bill. They had the Farm Bill. They had the National Defense Authorization Act. These are considered must-pass pieces of legislation. They have to be passed no matter what. And what is commonly done is that those bills are laden with all of the spending requests from all of the corrupt actors in Washington, D.C., It all gets compiled into what they call an omnibus bill, and then it just passes with an up or down vote, and no one has to take responsibility for any individual piece of the spending. They do this right in front of the American public, and they tell everybody that it had to be done because otherwise we would have a government shutdown, and that would mean everything falls apart. Very scary. Now, rather than fulfilling all of the spending priorities, they kicked the can down the road. They pushed the problem down the road and set up two new deadlines, January 19th, February 2nd. They were going to be negotiating the spending packages ahead of these two deadlines. But then last week, ahead of the first deadline, they just pushed those two deadlines off again, this time to March 1st and March 8th. The January 19th deadline was met and the February 2nd deadline simply disappeared. Whoops. Now, the negotiation that has been taking place is presented as a two-sided negotiation by each side of the unit party. Of course, the unit party left represented by the fake president and his fake administration. They want $110 billion to pay for foreign proxy wars waged by the global regime against countries who are not allies of that global regime, specifically Russia and China. And in order to convince the uniparty right to go along with these requests from the uniparty left, that of course the uniparty right also wants to see filled, well then the uniparty right is going to negotiate for border security. They're going to increase the surveillance state along the border, which will eventually increase the surveillance state throughout our country. And they want funding for more border agents who you'd assume would go prevent illegal aliens from coming into the country. But nope, you'd be wrong. They're going down to help process illegal aliens as they enter the country. So it seems that everything we're hearing about over these couple of weeks was meant to fall right in the middle of this negotiation, where all the pressure about how much we needed border security would justify the corrupt members of the uniparty right establishment going along with all the corrupt members of the uniparty left establishment. They would give them all the proxy war funding they wanted, and they would get this border security package that they claim would solve the problem at the border, even though it won't. And of course, we have the new trucker convoy materializing and then arriving at their destination 
for next Saturday, February 3rd, one day after that deadline that no longer exists. We also discussed the Supreme Court decision that would allow the Biden administration to send Border Patrol agents in to cut down the concertina wire fencing that was put up along the Texas borders and how Greg Abbott has said he is not going to comply with that decision. They're going to keep putting up the concertina wire. He is asserting his constitutional authority. He is asserting states' rights. He is saying that the fake president, Joe Biden, is not living up to his constitutional duties. And now he has been joined in this cause by initially six other governors. Then we got to 14. Then Donald Trump said that all willing red state governors should be sending their National Guard down to help Texas. And now we've got 25 states on board with Greg Abbott. Now all we have to do is choose a theme song and a hashtag for the convoy, and it will be one gigantic psyop. Now, everything that's playing out right now would have made a lot of sense if there was a deadline next Friday and a spending bill had to be passed by then. But there's nothing now. Now there's just a bill out there that's supported by virtually none of the American people. And there's no need to get anything passed. So we're just being told that immigration is such a massive problem that we will accept them giving us anything. Scraps and crumbs, just anything that they say will solve the problem. We'll be just fine with it. And if it means you got to send $110 billion more dollars for regime proxy wars in foreign lands, well, that's just fine because the immigration problem is that bad. And, oh, we might have a civil war. But, hey, guys, we're not going to have a civil war. Even if there's a civil war movie coming out in a few months, we're still just not going to have one. Why are we not going to have one? Because you don't start civil wars over concertina wire. If there is any reason at all to be concerned about a civil war, and I don't believe there is, the responsibility for that could be laid at the feet of all those in Con Inc., GOP, establishment, uniparty right media who are hyping this up and convincing people that we are running out of time and running out of options regarding a problem that has existed for years. And so these negotiations have been going on for a while now. And throughout that entire time, we have watched the mainstream media and establishment GOP politicians ratchet up the drama, ratchet up the terror on the immigration issue. It's been a few months now of constantly hearing about immigration. And when they do the polling, the polling reflects that as well. Americans all of a sudden are telling pollsters that immigration is their number one concern. It's amazing, isn't it? The influence of television. But as I said, this has been going on for a while and we're getting the same headlines essentially over and over again. This article is from December 4th of last year. So that is nearly two months ago. Here's the headline. Immigration talks collapse, threatening to sink aid to Israel and Ukraine. They keep trying to find reasons to pass this bill, H.R. 2, which is going to give them the border security, in quotes, they demand and the funding for the proxy wars. But the American people aren't buying it. And House Republicans aren't going to fold on their position. They're not going to go along with passing any 
Israel-Ukraine-Taiwan spending bill without their immigration demands being met. Now, Republicans in the Senate are not playing hardball. They are more than happy to go along with some compromise package because, of course, they're all corrupt and compromised. But that's not going to get the job done. And today we have this headline from The Guardian. Johnson warns Ukraine immigration deal likely dead on arrival in House. Pledges to impeach Mayorkas. In a letter to House Republicans, Speaker Mike Johnson warned that the immigration deal under consideration in the Senate may be dead on arrival in his chamber, while also vowing to move forward with plans to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. The Republican leader's statement bodes ill for the bargaining in the Senate, which is seen as crucial to unlocking GOP support for aid to Ukraine, as well as Israel and Taiwan. And it's funny when news outlets actually just say Taiwan and not the Indo-Pacific region or Asian security concerns as our politicians do. They can't say Taiwan because that would make China very mad. Democrats and Republicans in the upper chamber have been negotiating for months on an agreement to restrict immigration policy in a bid to keep undocumented migrants from entering the United States. While no compromise has yet been reached, Johnson said today that, quote, if rumors about the contents of the draft proposal are true, it would have been dead on arrival in the House anyway, end quote. Johnson said he would support the effort to impeach Mayorkas, who Republicans have accused of mishandling border security. When we return next week, by necessity, the House Homeland Security Committee will move forward with articles of impeachment against Secretary Mayorkas. A vote on the floor will be held as soon as possible thereafter. Impeachments of cabinet secretaries are exceedingly rare, and the Senate's Democratic majority will almost certainly refuse to convict Mayorkas. So just as it was seven weeks ago, nearly two months ago, the bill that would tie aid for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan to this so-called border security package is going nowhere. What they're attempting to do here is put pressure on the holdouts in the House. And the way they're doing that is by hyping up this immigration problem that has existed for years and that they have ignored for years. Now they are making it some sort of life or death situation for everyone. And don't get me wrong. I talk about the immigration problem on this show all the time. I fully understand that it is a problem. I understand the fentanyl is a problem. I understand the drug and human and weapons trafficking is all a problem. Every little bit of it's a problem. The Uniparty in this country working with drug cartels, which are just private armies of the global regime. That's a problem. It's all a problem. I totally agree. But they didn't care at all before a couple of months ago when they began negotiating this package to fund regime proxy wars in foreign lands. At that point, they decided immigration was such a huge problem that they would need to pass this legislation no matter what. That was going to be the leverage that was going to get conservative Republicans who don't want to fund Israel, Ukraine and Taiwan 
to go along with it. They wouldn't have a choice. The voters, the GOP voters would put so much pressure on them to finally do something about this immigration problem that they would have to give away the $110 billion to the illegitimate Biden administration to wage these foreign wars. That is the pressure campaign we are seeing, and they continue to ratchet it up. They have done this before, by the way. That's why they have these issues that they can always go to, that they can always use to divide people, and that they can always turn into really dramatic stories. School shootings, immigration, abortion. They tell the public that the problem is so serious that something must be done now. And while they are doing something to solve that problem that somehow never gets solved, They go ahead and check off a bunch of other agenda items in the process. They are manufacturing consent. They want people to believe the border problem is so much worse than it's ever been. Something needs to be done right now. And as we fix that problem, well, you see, we also got to give $110 billion to the global regime in order to fight these proxy wars. Let's just launder them a bunch of money so that we can not fix this border problem. Is anyone dumb enough to go along with this? That's the question. Are you going to continue to believe Fox News and the Blaze and the Daily Wire and all these outlets? And again, I'm not saying the problem's not real. I'm just saying, in addition to that, there is also an information op being run right now to manufacture consent for these foreign wars by tying it all to immigration. Now, naturally, they are going to try to lay all of this at the feet of Donald Trump and MAGA Republicans in the House. Donald Trump said that they should not agree to pass any legislation unless it's a perfect bill. And they're not going to get that because the uniparty right is not going to give them a perfect bill. They don't want to solve the problems. Everybody sooner or later has got to understand that these people are not in Washington, D.C. to solve problems on behalf of the American people. They're there to sell the American people on why they need the global regime to implement the agenda it wants to implement. So they're not going to get perfect legislation and the media wants to blame Donald Trump. Democrats are blaming Donald Trump. Here is Claire McCaskill, former Missouri senator, this morning on MSNBC. What I think McConnell was doing yesterday, he was making Trump own the fact that he was trying to stop the border control bill. Mm -hmm. He did that so everybody would understand that it is Donald Trump calling these senators like ridiculous Ron Johnson and the other Trump lackeys in the Republican caucus in the Senate and the entire House that is being called by Trump and told by Trump, don't fix the border, don't fix the border. That's, I think, what McConnell was doing. And of course, you immediately saw Tom Tillis and you saw Romney and you saw others stepping up and going, yes, that's exactly what's happening. Donald Trump is keeping the border open. So um, kudos to, to, to McConnell for having more of his strategy because he's the one who now has got this in the wide. <laughs> open. And thanks to my pal, the storm has arrived 17 for that clip. So as I said yesterday, this is the move. This is what they're going to present the country with. These same people spent years branding Donald Trump as racist and anti-immigrant. He got the Mexican president to send 28,000 troops to the border. He was trying to build the wall. 
And now they are trying to recast Donald Trump as being okay with illegal immigration because it is all some big ploy that is going to allow him to win the election by casting Joe Biden as weak on immigration for the next nine months, as if the country doesn't already understand who's who. A total failure of a branding operation, but that's not going to stop them. You really do have to wonder if they are going to be able to ratchet this narrative up any further. And it's a little crazy watching all of this play out, you know, now with our eyes open, understanding what this is. Because until Donald Trump, no one would have ever called them on any of this. They would have gotten this situation to a boiling point as they have over the last few months. And then Republicans would have just gone in and agreed to whatever legislation they could get. Whatever minimal amount they might be able to take home and sell to their constituents, that's what they would have agreed to. But Donald Trump just keeps walking on by and tossing a wrench right into their system. And the funniest thing is that they then turn to the public and say, this Trump guy's throwing wrenches in our system. And as soon as people actually get it and come to their senses, their reaction is like, oh, yeah, good. Yeah, thank goodness Trump is throwing a wrench into that system. We can see that Trump is supporting a certain brand of Republican congressmen in the House. Those Republican congressmen are all demanding actual border security rather than these scraps and crumbs. And you're telling us that these scraps and crumbs are going to fix the border problem, except none of that stuff that'll actually fix it is included here. And once you've realized that the effect just wears off. I have a feeling that if they go through with this trucker convoy, by the time it actually happens next Saturday, it's going to seem kind of silly. Maybe I'm wrong. I'll try to remember to talk about this a week from Monday. But this seems like a major psyop gone totally awry that is just completely failing. Then we have this yesterday in Just the News. FBI luminaries starkly warn Congress that The U.S. is being invaded at the border, alarming and perilous. With a constitutional crisis brewing in Texas and voters nationwide, alarmed by the toll of illegal immigration, some of the FBI's most famous retired executives are issuing a stark warning to Congress that President Joe Biden's border policies have unleashed an invasion of military-aged male foreigners who pose, quote, one of the most pernicious ever threats to American security. Ten former FBI executives, some who oversaw the Bureau's intelligence, counterterrorism, criminal and training operations, expressed their alarm in a letter dated January 17th to House Speaker Mike Johnson, Senate Leader Chuck Schumer, and the chairman of the House and Senate committees that preside over the U.S. intelligence and homeland security apparatus. Their language affirms that of both Current FBI Director Christopher Wray, who testified the nation's security lights are blinking red, and Texas Governor Greg Abbott, who alleges Biden's loosening of border security, has allowed an invasion of America by foreigners 
with troubling origins and attributes. And as of course, we all know, Greg Abbott couldn't have stopped it until just a few weeks ago when he did that whole barbed wire thing. And before then, what he was trying to do was take those very same illegal aliens and help distribute them throughout the country, sending them to sanctuary cities to own the libs. Now, I said on Badlands Daily this morning, if all of this is an act because Americans need to be woken up to these problems, then on some level, I guess, fine. If you have to psyop people out of all these beliefs they were psyoped into, fine. Maybe that's what happened to me. Maybe that's what happened to a bunch of you. If that's the only way it can be done, well, fine. But I kind of feel like maybe that's not the only way that it can be done. And at this point, it's all getting a little ridiculous. People should have obviously learned their lesson by now in terms of listening to and believing these media sources. Obviously, the responsibility ultimately is on each and every person for determining what to believe and how to form beliefs. But I'm still just not really a fan of how everything is all lies by all sides all the time. The best way to break this cycle and to get out of this, if that is indeed what we want to do, is to understand it's a show and stop watching the show. Now, if all we want to do is replace their liars with our liars, their psyops with our psyops, and their criminals with our criminals, well, that's certainly possible, and the regime would absolutely 100% take that deal. In fact, that's kind of the deal they were offering us with Ron DeSantis. So now we have a letter from former FBI officials letting us know that there are just legions of military-aged foreign-born males now in our country who are doing who the hell knows what. Again, this is something that people like Steve Bannon have been talking about publicly for years. It's not new information. These aren't current revelations that change our thinking on everything. This is just a slow-release info op, slow exposure, slow disclosure. And I don't point these things out to convince you to ignore these things, not learn about these things, not understand the constitutional issues, not understand the moral implications. All of that is wonderful. All of that is totally appropriate. But the thing is, when you realize that something is an op because there are reruns or obviously comically ridiculous things that couldn't happen in real life or everyone has all of a sudden just reversed a long held position. Whenever there are a bunch of red flags that major elements of the story are just off in really important ways, then what we want to do is just step back a level and understand this is what is being told to us. What is the purpose of them deciding to tell this story right now? And who is the one pushing this story out? From which side is this story emerging? Because the important part here is how we are reacting to these stories and how we will choose to act in the future on the basis of this new knowledge. What we don't need to do is have dramatic emotional reactions and believe that we are just going to all die immediately because now there are all these young foreign men in the country. Sure, they absolutely pose a threat. I'm not denying that. But the threat isn't new, and you probably knew about that threat for a long time. So why are you having a different emotional reaction 
right now? And what does it seem like that emotional reaction is leading you to do or support or say in real life? I'm certainly not suggesting that we shouldn't be having first principles discussions about illegal immigration in this country, that we shouldn't be having discussions about the proper constitutional roles of the states versus the federal government. Those conversations are wonderful. They are necessary. People need to understand these issues so that we can be better informed about the society we are building out into the future. But what we don't need to be doing is joining in the PSYOP or doing what the television tells us we should do, which is support all of these establishment Republican figures saying that we must pass this legislation to solve the problem at the border. If you are considering the proper ways to react to all of this, you should first consider how the regime wants you to react to it. It is very clear the regime wants you to be upset about illegal immigration and wants you to give your consent to the uniparty right establishment in passing this border bill that's tied to the $110 billion they want for their foreign proxy wars. When you know that's what they want, your thinking about what you should do should start by trying to determine what the exact polar opposite of that is, not arguing that this time you should go along with them because it really is so important based on what's really happening on the border because you saw some really shocking videos on social media. And just one final word on these negotiations. Consider that the same exact negotiation has been going on for months now, and the terms of the negotiation aren't changing. There's not a give and take really going on. Everyone's kind of just in their original positions. And when that's the case, how do you change the leverage? That's what we're watching. They're changing the leverage by changing the on the ground reality in quotes as projected to you. The terms of the negotiation are unchanged. All that is changed is the context in which the negotiations are being held. And all of that context is a media creation. And I want to be clear one last time, that doesn't mean there's not a real situation, and it doesn't mean I don't care about the real situation. I'm just describing the political operation and the info operation as it's playing out in front of the American public. This is how they manipulate the public. This is how they manufacture consent to do everything they want to do while making people feel like their voices were heard and that they fought for something and won. This is how it's always been done. And people just are Stockholm syndromed into giving the media the benefit of the doubt once again, because they don't want to admit that they have been tricked again. And hey, we've all been there. But the point is not to defend our own untrickability. The point is to figure out how to not get tricked anymore. Now, we haven't spent much of this week talking about geopolitics broadly, but I do want to touch on a few things. We were covering the Taiwan election pretty closely. This is from yesterday in The Hill. House lawmakers make first post-election visit to Taiwan. 
senior House lawmakers met Taiwan's president-elect in Taipei on Thursday, marking the first congressional delegation to the island after elections earlier this month in a show of American support amid an intimidation campaign from Beijing. Taiwan President Lai Ching-te said he welcomed deepening ties with the U.S. alongside representatives Mario Diaz-Balart, a Republican from Florida, an anti-Trump Republican from Florida, and Ami Berra, a Democrat from California, the bipartisan co-chairs of the House Taiwan Caucus. Those count as senior House lawmakers now? These are uniparty stooges. Who cares about these guys? Marking 45 years of the Taiwan Relations Act, we look forward to deepening Taiwan-U.S. partnership and remaining committed to advancing regional stability, Lai wrote on X, formerly Twitter. That was actually written in the article, as it always is. People think it's just my joke, but no, it says it in like every article where X is ever mentioned. The first time they mention X in the article, they will say formerly Twitter. I do it now because I just pretend that the site is called X, formerly Twitter. Taiwan looks to the U.S. as its key partner to counter China's efforts to subsume the island through diplomatic, economic and military coercion. Now, this is ridiculous, of course, because Taiwan is part of China. Taiwan experts on both sides of the Pacific see a high chance of a crisis in the Taiwan Strait this year likely in the form of a Chinese blockade or quote-unquote quarantine of Taiwan. Diaz-Balart, chair of the House Appropriations Subcommittee on State, Foreign Operations, and Related Programs, said in a post on X that the trip served to find new ways to strengthen U.S. and Taiwan ties. Proud to be part of the first congressional delegation to visit Taiwan, Following another free and transparent election, Diaz-Balart wrote on X, It was an honor to congratulate President-elect Dr. Lai and Vice President-elect B. Kim Siao on their victory. The congressman wrote in another post, Lai, who currently serves as vice president, has promised to maintain the policy of President Tsai Ing-wen to hold back on formally declaring Taiwan as independent from Beijing, but maintain the island's autonomy in talks with Beijing about relations between the two capitals. So let's read that above sentence just one more time. Taiwan looks to the U.S. as its key partner to counter China's efforts to subsume the island through diplomatic, economic, and military coercion. Then we go back down and we see that Lai is not going to declare the independence of Taiwan from China. So the Taiwanese president isn't even willing to declare that Taiwan is independent, but we as American citizens, we are supposed to pretend that Taiwan really is independent, even though the Taiwanese know that they aren't. And of course, America's actual policy is the one China policy. Presenting this way is absurd every time it happens. It should always be pointed out. And all coverage of the China-Taiwan situation should be understood in that light. Key to that position is robust U.S. support. The U.S. holds informal diplomatic ties with Taiwan to preserve formal relations with Beijing. 
the U.S. maintains a position of strategic ambiguity toward Taiwan, seeking to portray itself as a neutral player between Taipei and Beijing. But President Biden has pushed those boundaries by promising to intervene militarily if the island is invaded by China. And of course, the island cannot be invaded by China because it's part of China. I can't wait until California tries to do the same exact thing. And then we see headlines about how the U.S. is invading California. So basically, we have two random congressmen who sit on two mostly irrelevant committees traveling to Taiwan to meet with their new regime aligned president. How diplomatic. But let's move to the Middle East. This is from the Washington Post yesterday. Biden to deploy CIA director to help broker major Gaza deal. President Biden plans to dispatch CIA director William J. Burns in the coming days to help broker an ambitious deal between Hamas and Israel that would resolve the release of all remaining hostages held in Gaza and the longest cessation of hostilities since the war began last year, according to officials familiar with the matter. And it's a war, don't you know? It started with a few paragliding go-karts flying over the most heavily patrolled, most secure border in the history of mankind. And now it is a full-blown war that has apparently totally eradicated Gaza and driven millions of Palestinians from their homes. But as we were told in the days after October 7th, by the global regime's proxy elements in Israel, they were allowed to kill absolutely as many people as they wanted, wherever they wanted, in retaliation for the whole paragliding go-karts thing that they had known about for a year and just didn't bother stopping at all. Burns is expected to travel to Europe for the talks and meet with the Israeli and Egyptian intelligence chiefs. David Barnea and Abbas Kamel, and Qatari Prime Minister Mohammed bin Abdul Rahman bin Jassim Al Tani. These people said, speaking on the condition of anonymity, to discuss sensitive negotiations. The planned gathering has not been previously reported. So, anonymous sources telling the Washington Post that the CIA director is headed to meet with Intel chiefs and the Qatari prime minister in Europe to negotiate the humanitarian crisis that is also being called a genocide in Gaza. Why is the Qatari prime minister involved? Why are the Egyptians involved? Wait, why are we involved? Egypt and Qatar have been key interlocutors between Israel and Hamas, the militant group whose deadly cross-border attack October 7th set off the war in Gaza. The two countries helped secure the initial pause in hostilities and hostage release in November. But tensions between the Israelis and Qataris are on a razor's edge after leaked audio of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu captured the Israeli leader disparaging Qatar in a conversation with Israeli hostage families. Now, Qatar seems to have taken on the role of biggest regime proxy in the Middle East. So disparaging Qatar is not necessarily a bad thing for someone like Netanyahu to be doing. And just take that as it is information among other information. It's not a judgment one way or the other on Netanyahu. 
Burns' discussions in Europe are expected to build on his phone conversations with counterparts, as well as the work of the White House's top Middle East official, Brett McGurk, who this week has held related meetings in Qatar's capital, Doha, and in Cairo. Israel's latest proposal includes a 60-day pause in fighting in exchange for the phased release of the more than 100 captives, beginning with civilian women and children and followed by civilian men, military women and men, and the remains of those who have died since their abduction. Such a pause would allow Israel to continue fighting after the two-month lull in line with Netanyahu's vow to achieve total victory by destroying Hamas. The CIA declined to comment. So Israel is going to stop destroying Gaza for two months and then would, of course, continue destroying Gaza so long as the hostages are given back. The Israelis have also proposed that senior Hamas leaders agree to leave Gaza. But one official familiar with the negotiations said the idea was a non-starter for the group and its military leaders who are prepared to die as martyrs in the Palestinian enclave. Hamas also rebuffed Israel's 60-day pause proposal, saying the next hostage release should involve a permanent ceasefire, said the official. But multiple officials said negotiations on those key points remain active. And now we reach the part of the article where the New York Times attempts to convince you to believe one thing or the other about this whole situation. And of course, they include wonderful propaganda photographs. But let's get back to the article. Samir Farag, a former Egyptian general and defense official, said both Hamas and Israel have shown a willingness to return to the negotiation table. Everybody wants peace, the Palestinians, Hamas and the Israelis. But everybody wants to win in the negotiations, he said. We are trying to reach a middle ground. Hamas's possession of the hostages puts the group, quote, in a very strong position, Farag said. I think Netanyahu is under pressure because the street in Israel, everybody wants to release the hostages, he added. So he has to do something, otherwise he's in big trouble, especially because he lost a lot of soldiers in the war over there. Some of the terms of the negotiations were reported by Axios and CNN. The discussions come as Israel's forces encircle the southern city of Khan Yunus, where they believe top Hamas commanders are located. The U.N. accused Israel of shelling a U.N. compound housing 30,000 displaced people on Wednesday, which sparked rare condemnation from the United States. Israel denied responsibility. A U.N. compound with 30,000 displaced people. Now that sounds suspicious. I know we're supposed to pretend that the U.N. is a humanitarian organization just looking out for the fair treatment of countries by other countries and human rights around the globe. That's not what they are. U.N. peacekeeping missions are corrupt global police forces with a long list of scandals and atrocities. And U.N. migration is basically the United Nations running the global slave trade. 30,000 people in a U.N. facility sounds like a living nightmare. Humanitarian organizations have reported that thousands of civilians are trapped in the city, many in hospitals. Across Gaza, more than 25,000 people, most of them civilians, have died since the fighting began, according to Palestinian health officials. The violence has coincided 
with anger from Qatar over Netanyahu's leaked remarks, accusing Doha of failing to pressure Hamas into releasing hostages. He also said the Persian Gulf state was worse than the United Nations and the Red Cross, institutions Israel routinely accuses of anti-Israel bias. And you certainly will not hear me defending either the United Nations or the Red Cross, though not on the basis of anti-Israel bias. And it might be worth pointing out here that, as always, everything is two things, and that, of course, includes Israel. We have an evil twin faction and a good twin faction in that land. And when you hear a claim, for instance, about the UN being anti-Israel, we have to think about that in the same way that we might describe elements of the global regime being anti-American at the same time as we know elements of that same global regime are in America and propping up the American empire as it currently exists, which is not the same as the American people. I know it may be a little hard to wrap your head around, but it's entirely possible that the UN is a fully owned subsidiary of that global regime and Israel, the state that now exists for the last 75 years, is a global regime proxy state, while also understanding that there is a good twin element there among the Israeli people, the Jewish people in what is now the state of Israel. And so it's entirely possible that the UN could be anti that. Then we get a few paragraphs talking about how very bad and sad Netanyahu's comments about the Qataris are and how he should certainly be ashamed of himself. You're not allowed to say bad things about the Qataris. The spy chiefs and Qatari prime minister also met shortly before the conclusion of November's deal, which involved the release of more than 100 captives in exchange for more than 200 Palestinians held in Israeli prisons. The pause also allowed critical flows of humanitarian aid to northern Gaza, where inhabitants are approaching near famine conditions. Burns and McGurk both played a role in securing that deal. Oh, how very humanitarian. After a flurry of diplomacy this month, both parties appear to be close to an agreement, Farag said, but Hamas, quote, asked for a guarantee because sometimes they deliver the hostages and after that, Israel will attack them again. And obviously don't pay attention to that. That is just the New York Times being anti-Semitic. <laughs> the United States is the only actor positioned to offer such a guarantee, Farag said. Even if Netanyahu has paid little heed to American entreaties on its conduct of the war and the entry of humanitarian aid to Gaza in recent months, he said, Egypt believes the United States retains crucial leverage by virtue of its military assistance to Israel. He referenced a famous quote by the late Egyptian president Anwar Sadat, who took part in talks brokered by President Jimmy Carter that led to the 1978 Camp David Accords and a peace treaty between Israel and Egypt the following year. We do believe that, as President Sadat said, 99% of the solutions in every place in the world come from the United States. Oh, well, that's interesting. How is that? Oh, it's because the United States is the police state and slave colony of the global regime. We do the enforcement of all the global regime's interests around the world. 
And all of that, of course, is done with our consent and as a product sponsored by our eternal indentured servitude. He added, the Americans, they are very powerful. Believe me, they can do whatever they want. The Israelis now, they are facing a lot of problems. Economic, because all the people that are working now in the army. But who is supporting Israel? The United States. Who gave them all of the munitions? If the Americans said no, then it would stop. Oh, you mean exactly like Ukraine? Gosh, how strange. No one could have ever seen that coming in this Israel situation. But Biden has appeared unwilling so far to put that kind of serious pressure on Netanyahu's government, he said. Michael Milstein, a senior fellow at Reichman University, and former head of Palestinian affairs for Israeli military intelligence, said he believes a deal could be reached in the coming weeks. In Israel, there are more and more voices that really want to promote such a deal. And I think that Hamas also understands that the next stages of the conflict can cause this organization severe damages, he said. Both sides want to consider this idea. So good old William Burns, director of the CIA appointed by the fake president himself, is going to go negotiate the terms of a ceasefire, just like he went down and helped out with Brazil's election. And also, isn't William Burns a Jeffrey Epstein associate? Why, yes, he is. Thank goodness we have someone so well tied in with how things work in the corrupt global regime. By the way, I think I may have said New York Times, that's the Washington Post. Now, we also talked a couple weeks back about the fake president's secretary of defense, Lloyd Austin, and how he had just disappeared, just totally off the map for days on end while the U.S. military was still involved in launching strikes on what we were told were Iran-linked terrorists who we were told had attacked and killed U.S. soldiers, thereby making these strikes self-defense. And we talked about ISIS, the terrorist organization, a.k.a. private army of the global regime that started under Obama and was then destroyed under Donald Trump. Well, now they are back. And so let's update on those stories. This is the Wall Street Journal from yesterday, U.S., secretly alerted Iran ahead of Islamic State terrorist attack. The U.S. secretly warned Iran that Islamic State was preparing to carry out the terrorist attack early this month that killed more than 80 Iranians in a pair of coordinated suicide bombings, U.S. officials said. The confidential alert came after the U.S. acquired intelligence that Islamic State's affiliate in Afghanistan ISIS Khorasan, known as ISIS-K, was plotting to attack Iran, they said. American officials said the information passed to Iran was specific enough about the location and sufficiently timely that it might have proved useful to Tehran in thwarting the attack on January 3rd or at least mitigating the casualty toll. Iran, however, failed to prevent the suicide bombings in the southeastern town of Kerman which targeted a crowd that was commemorating the anniversary of the death of Qasem Soleimani, the commander of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps Quds Force, 
Soleimani was killed in a January 2020 drone attack near the Baghdad airport ordered by then President Donald Trump. And now the Wall Street Journal will give us the official story as provided by an anonymous U.S. official who could be absolutely anybody. Prior to ISIS's terrorist attack on January 3rd, 2024 in Kerman, Iran, the U.S. government provided Iran with a private warning that there was a terrorist threat within Iranian borders. A U.S. official said using an acronym for Islamic State. And I got to say, it is a little strange that the Wall Street Journal is really sticking to referring to ISIS as Islamic State, not the Islamic State, just capital letters Islamic State, as if it's its own real country. The U.S. government followed a longstanding duty to warn policy that has been implemented across administrations to warn governments against potential lethal threats. We provide these warnings in part because we do not want to see innocent lives lost in terror attacks. And if there's one thing we can trust about our government, it's that they would never want to see innocent lives lost. That's why we had two weeks to slow the spread and masking and vaccine mandates. Officials with Iran's mission to the United Nations didn't immediately respond to a request for comment. Despite the American warning, some Iranian hardliners have suggested that Islamic State perpetrators were linked to the U.S. and Israel. <laughs> Whoops. I mean, I hope nobody actually believes that that can't possibly be true. If these ISIS terrorists who started under Obama and were destroyed under Donald Trump and are now back were actually linked to the U.S. and to Israel. Well, there's no way that U.S. intelligence would have given Iran a warning. Giving Iran that warning means that they weren't linked to the U.S. and Israel at all. And definitely don't ask, hey. Do we know for sure that they gave them that warning? Well, the answer is yes, according to one anonymous U.S. official who could be absolutely anybody. So you see that? An open and shut case. You can't even doubt this unless you're some kind of conspiracy theorist or something. At a ceremony in Kerman honoring the victims, Major General Hossein Salami the most senior Revolutionary Guard commander said Islamic State, quote, has disappeared nowadays, end quote, arguing the jihadists, quote, only act as mercenaries, end quote, for U.S. and Israeli interests. U.S. officials declined to say what channels were used to warn Iran or divulge details of what was passed, nor did they say if this was the first time Washington has passed such a warning to the Iranian regime. So as you can see, things are going really well in the Middle East and the U.S. and Israel definitely have no involvement with ISIS-K whatsoever. And you have to believe that because otherwise we wouldn't have warned Iran about the fact that ISIS-K was about to attack them. So let's wrap up the week on a lighter note with some wonderful, wonderful regime panic. This is Axios from yesterday. They are superstar reporters, Jim Vandehei and Mike Allen. These are the guys that started Axios. Behind the curtain, Trump's exponential power surge. Something shocking and telling 
has unfolded beyond Donald Trump's onstage, online, and courtroom theatrics. He's running a professional, well-managed, disciplined presidential campaign. His 2024 operation is more sophisticated, dare we say traditional, than the slapdash improvisation of his White House and two previous runs. Why it matters. Trump will likely wrap up the nomination in record time with almost universal GOP establishment backing. If he were to win and run the White House like he has his campaign, he could reshape America and its government more quickly and in more lasting ways than he did during his first term. Winning the nomination fast and decisively speaks only to his power with the activist GOP. Exit polling showed lots of New Hampshire Republicans won't vote for him, especially if convicted. But his hand is a hell of a lot stronger than most expected a year ago. Honestly, the entire industry of exit polling should be abandoned and nothing should replace it. We don't need it. It's not good. It's not accurate. It is absolutely fake news. Many top Republicans assumed that after the Capitol riot, no one sensible would go near him. The campaign would be fringe and cringe. Using cringe, a verb as an adjective is always cringeworthy in every circumstance. It has never been good or funny or cute or clever. It is just awful. Instead, Trump has rolled up the party tighter than he did when he was president. Now the GOP's biggest donors and power brokers not only figure he'll quickly become the nominee, they assume he'd beat President Biden if the expected rematch comes to pass. Trump is the strongest politically he's ever been within his party. Trump has surrounded himself with pros, but he's still Trump, an incendiary and chaotic messenger. You see it in the unhinged, all caps, truth social posts. You saw it in his fuming rant about Haley on Tuesday night. He could say anything at any time. Honestly, this is just gossip. This is two middle-aged liberal men gossiping about a man who's better than they are. Our conversations with Trump officials, allies, and alumni reveal the off-the-rails public Trump has a more conventional buttoned-up operation built around him. His advisors see this as a template for governing if he wins. And then they just proceed to go deeper into the details of various operations in different states, describing his political operation. It's a tight ship now. It's going to be funny when they have to reverse all of the ways that they branded Trump nine years ago, eight years ago, and since. Eventually, they'll be saying that he is a great guy, a brilliant negotiator, a fabulous businessman, a wonderful president, and not even a little bit orange. In fact, he never was. That would actually be a better strategy for the media than what they are doing now. Because what they are doing now is failing spectacularly. And that has been the big talk of the last couple of days. This is from yesterday on CNN.com. News industry off to brutal 2024 start as mass layoffs devastate publishers, raising questions about the future of journalism. And we'll just do a couple paragraphs of this. 
The news industry is enduring a brutal start to the new year with outlets large and small across the country hemorrhaging reporting staff as legacy business models that kept much of the industry afloat for decades collapse in plain sight. The rapid contraction coming even as the presidential election cycle heats up and public attention and revenues historically mount has been on full display this month with the first few weeks of 2024 ushering in a spate of painful layoffs at news organizations from coast to coast. The Los Angeles Times slashed its newsroom by more than 20% earlier this year. Time cut dozens of staffers and Business Insider said it would trim its workforce by 8%. Meanwhile, hundreds of staffers at Condé Nast, Forbes, the New York Daily News, and others staged historic walkouts to protest planned cuts at the outlets. The recent round of layoffs, while pronounced, are part of a much larger and unrelenting storm battering the journalism industry. Over the past 18 months, most news organizations have been forced to make difficult decisions to reduce their workforces. At the national level, CNN, The Washington Post, NPR, Vice Media, Sports Illustrated, Vox Media, NBC News, CNBC, and other organizations have cut swaths of their reporting staff. At the local level, layoffs have been nearly constant, with newspaper giant Gannett cutting hundreds of employees and small outlets carving out already lean operations. And of course, Oliver Darcy and his co-writer, they need two writers to handle an article like this. They go on and on explaining how they do a really important job, but there are just all of these elements outside of their control. You know, social media, everybody looks to social media for the news now. It's just because of the technology. It's not because the people on social media are telling the truth and the whole mainstream media is lying. It can't be that. It could never be that. Also, there's the COVID thing that really hurt the media, even though COVID was a kind of a media creation. Whoops, I guess. Right. But before we go, I got to give you this. This is one of the absolute worst, most annoying, woke, feminist, liberal journalists who has ever existed, the profoundly creepy, annoying, and unimaginably immature Taylor Lorenz with all of her vocal fry in full effect, you're about to hear her illustrate what it means to be a child brain in all its glory. She talks like a child in an adult-sized body. Obviously, you're not going to see the video. You won't see her looking away from the camera, her eyes darting around, her body movements trying to be cutesy as if she's digging her toe in the dirt. She's a little bit shy. She's talking about how she's been a little bit victimized, but she's also cute and she also wants to be your best friend. She also wants to get milkshakes after school or maybe have a tea party. Here she is letting you know how important journalists like her are. The journalism industry is basically in a free fall. Today, the Los Angeles Times laid off 115 employees. They wiped out their entire D.C. bureau in an election year. They laid off pretty much all of their sports teams. They killed their entire tech and business section. They laid off breaking news writers, social media editors. The list goes on. But what's really dark is this is just the latest in months and months and months of layoffs in the media industry. In fact, tens of thousands of journalists have been laid off in the past year. Major media companies 
companies like BuzzFeed News have completely shuttered their news operations. Time Magazine also just laid off a ton of people, and oh, Sports Illustrated basically shut down last week. Pretty much the entire digital media ecosystem that myself and a lot of other millennial journalists came up in has been completely hollowed out. And it's not just digital media sites. Local news has been obliterated. The newspaper industry is cratering. Radio is essentially dead aside from NPR, which has been gutted. Meanwhile, hundreds of workers at Condé Nast, the parent company of pretty much every major magazine from GQ to Vogue to The New Yorker to Vanity Fair are on strike because they're also facing impending layoffs. Even mainstream national media outlets owned by billionaires like The Washington Post, where I work, and The Atlantic, where I used to work, have done layoffs. If you're a young journalist today, there's almost no on-ramp to traditional journalism. Even if you do get a job, journalists' salaries have been stagnant and even declined. And by the way, we don't make that much to begin with. I don't think people understand how bad the world would be without journalists. Well, maybe she's right, but there's only one way to find out. I'll be back on Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. 
On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!